we are faced with many new and different ideas every single day in our world and even in our churches. How can a Christian discern which are good and godly and which are wrong and sinful? You know, we can reason all sorts of things and make it sound acceptable, but that doesn't mean we are right. And if it goes against God's word, we are definitely wrong. Mm-hmm. So when we base decisions or ideas on our own logic and feelings without consulting God's word for accurate discernment, we are in danger of sin and being tossed and fro from one idea to another. Welcome to Unshaken. I'm your host, Julie Van Warmer, and it's great to have you listening today. This podcast is to encourage us, you and I, and any woman who listens, that we can be unshaken because of Christ, no matter our circumstances. Hence the name Unshaken. Perfect. Today is episode 163, and the episode I titled The Importance of Discernment. We're going to talk all about Oh, we have such a great discussion coming. All kinds of good things on the topic of discernment. And if you don't know what it is, you better stay tuned because we have lots of good things. And this is a topic that we need in this kind of like crazy world we live in, but also we need it both in our church and outside of our church. We need it in our homes, in our schools, everywhere. So I am really excited to have two ladies in the studio today. Yay! Andrea Van Engen and Katie Sandy. I am so excited to have you here. So Katie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, I live with my husband, Tom, and we have five kids, and we also have two dogs, a cat, and way more chickens than I ever thought I would have. (laughs) Okay. I don't want chickens. To eat them. That's what I do. (laughs) Well, the eggs are great, too. Okay. Good. Um, My husband works making prosthetics and orthotics, um, and I spend my days at home with our kiddos. I homeschool. We've done that since the beginning. Um, I really enjoy learning different things, and I would say right now that's focusing on gardening. Because we're recording in the summer. Yes. Yeah. So you're gardening. Yes. Is there school happening at your house? Uh, A couple finishing a few things. Okay. But our official year has ended. Okay. Um, And also I enjoy baking. What specifically do you love to bake? Well, I do like to bake sourdough, Julie. Yes, I knew that. Yes. <laughs> I believe yesterday I sent you a picture of my fancy sourdough loaf that I learned from you. Yeah, how, how was to it? Make. It was good. My family, all of my kids liked it except one who said, what is this? So <laughs> I was like, it's bread, hon. It's bread, you know? <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to keep making sourdough. So, good. well, I'm glad you're here today. Andrea, tell us a little bit about yourself. You've been on the episode a few other times. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thanks for having me back. Um, Well, I live with my husband, Andrew, and my five kids, and Andrew is a bivocational pastor at our church, so as a pastor's wife, I'm involved in various church activities and in the lives of women here, Um, and like Katie, I also homeschool my kids. Um, We are trying to keep doing math this summer. (laughs) It's worked out a few times. I love that. We are trying. (laughs) Um. And as far as hobbies go, I've enjoyed dabbling in watercolor painting over the past few years. Mm -hmm. Um, I mostly make note cards. That's what I do. Yeah. It seems more practical. Yes. Um, And my kids enjoy that too. So it's a fun way to spend time with them. And um, this past winter, you learned to make sourdough, but I learned to knit. Ooh. 
I wouldn't call it a hobby yet, but okay. I'm almost done with my first project. Washcloth. Did you make a washcloth? No, a hat. <laughs> oh, look at you. Yeah. I've knitted washcloths before and that's it. And then I'm like, I can just buy this so much cheaper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, well, cool. It's really good to have hobbies. I was just talking to my daughter about hobbies and how hobbies are good because they keep our time, our hands busy with good stuff, you yeah. know? So mm-hmm. making sourdough is good and eating it is good and knitting is good. So, yeah, we need you know, a good creative outlet, I think. W- watercolor's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's just helpful. I think it's good for our kids to have hobbies. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. And do either of you guys remember what my goal was for the year? I had a goal back in January. I said, come on, I, I need to know that you're listening to the <laughs> podcast. Okay. I listened. I liked that episode. Okay. About making goals. Well, yes. And it was a goal. And my goal was my family's changing. I'm on the, um, kind of the other end of parenting where I have now three adult children, two teenagers and a 12 year old which, wow, that went by fast. And so I am downsizing my food. So I've been doing pretty good. I've, I've learned a lot and worked on it. I found out that I really like um, certain meals. Some meals I just don't make because they're just too big, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but I'm always going back to the same recipes. So I'm going to start today asking each of you, what is your like go-to recipe? You know, like, you know, you're at the store, you realize you didn't plan dinner. Well, maybe you're not at the store. Maybe you just look in your pantry, right? And you're getting stuff out. What is it? And what's your best hospitality things? Um, well, I, for one, live by meal planning. Um, we would probably wouldn't eat. <laughs> It'd <laughs> be cereal. Meal You'd be eating cereal and eggs every yes, night. Yes, yes. Um, so my go-to recipes typically are um, based around my Instant Pot. Oh. Yes. I really, she's like part of the family. I should oh, probably no. give her a name. <laughs> Bertha. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like Bertha. <laughs> I'm going to see if we can get you a name tag for her. That would be really oh. fun. A little right. name tag I'll on the it. front, Bertha. Um, Bertha my... Bakes. I'm sorry. It sounds like a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. I'm sorry. Um, my go-to recipes are ones that are easy and enjoyed by my family. Mm. Usually, I always have um, like ground beef on hand that I can toss in the Instant Pot to make whatever kind of meat um, that way. Or frozen chicken can be thrown into the Instant Pot really mm-hmm. easily. So I always have that on hand. Um, but sometimes when I have more time, I try to make like a normal recipe, like from an actual cookbook oh. or something. And <laughs> my, what my favorite that I've learned over the year, the past year is butternut squash sausage pasta. I don't know if that's the official name, but it's amazing. That sounds it good. It has butternut mm-hmm. squash and like Italian sausage and bow tie pasta and this white cream sauce. It's amazing. Okay. You're going to have to share this <laughs> recipe right. because... We're recording at lunchtime, and I'm now ready to eat. So, yeah. And I'm wondering if we could share that on our social media. Okay. If you can find it. Oh, I. That would yeah, be people probably it. would be making it. And they we want all the Berthas in the area to be working today, right? It's all made in my um, cast iron skillet, so that's kind of fun. Oh, that's not yeah. in your Instapot. No, no, this oh. is the one that's more okay. like, yeah, like old school. Okay, all old right. Cooking. Um, and so my favorite hospitality recipes, um, I usually do like soups in the fall or winter and then burgers and brats in the summer. Yeah. You know, that keeps it easy. I don't have to yep. think too much about it. Um, they're cost effective. And yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I, you know, try to make a soup that is kid friendly as well. And then always you can throw mac and cheese in there with the burgers and brats. Yep. And so it's. And you can make mac and cheese in your Instapot. I can. I do. <laughs> and it's good. I always do. Yeah. Yum. <laughs> All right, Katie, what about you? What do you do with meal planning? And good recipes. Well, I also rely a lot on meal planning. I don't think I can make my grocery list without it. Or you would be spending a lot of money at the grocery store trying right. to plan right? so as I, you go. I usually know what we're having every night. Yeah. Um, so that's really helpful. Um, and if 
I think if you were to ask my family what my go-to recipe was, they would say tacos. Yeah, I really like to make tacos because they're easy. Yep. And everyone loves them, and I can make lots of extra to last yep. for leftovers and all the good stuff that comes with tacos. Yeah, that's good. And then sometimes we'll do fancy tacos, like Ooh. fried chicken, which is pretty much the only thing I can get to turn out in my Instapot. Oh, no. <laughs> you need a lesson in your Instapot. I'm more of a slow cooker gal. Okay. My Instapot does not like me. Oh. So. <laughs> you need to give her a name. Yeah. Maybe, if you, there maybe if you brought her into the family, she would be more excited to work. Okay. That's good advice. That's right. Um, or we'll do barbacoa Ooh. in the slow cooker. Yeah. Well, so that's I actually like both my slow cooker and my Instapot, but, you know. I like them both. I think they're both important parts of the family, right? <laughs> um, I like, I decided that since we were downsizing with food, I'm going to make fancy sandwiches throughout the summer. So I've been making like um, fancy BLTs with avocado oh, yeah. or, an, or a fried egg on, you know, and I used my sourdough bread. So Perfect. that was also really good. Um, so I just think, I just like to get ideas. So we'll put those, you know, your recipe and maybe we can get one of your recipes about your tacos. What do you do? Your barbacoa? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be great. We'll put those on our show notes okay. and maybe on our social media. We'll see. And that way you can, um, you got some new recipes to work yeah. with. And then I'd like to work out a plan for you to teach Katie, Andrea, how to use her okay. <laughs> Instapot and then we can all name it, right? There There's a, no hope. There's, <laughs> no, there is a learning curve. I understand. But there, there is hope. Yeah, there, <laughs> there is, is hope. hope. There's hope, Katie. Okay. All right. Well, let's jump into the actual topic of the day. Um, because I think this is a good topic. So we're going to talk about discernment. And I think it's interesting before we started to record, um, Andrea, you were saying that sometimes we just, we're faced with this every day. Like we run into people. How do we deal with, with discernment? You run into someone who needs help and wisdom and what they really needed is discernment. Mm-hmm. And so um, let's start by saying what actually is discernment and why do we even need it? Sure. Um, well, in prep for this, I found a definition given by Tim Challies. He's a Christian author and blogger who I have enjoyed reading over the years. And he defines discernment as the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. Hmm. So one thing I notice is that this definition does not include our own personal thoughts or feelings, nor does it take into account our circumstances. Hmm. Truth is based on God's word. It doesn't change, and it's not dependent upon our individual situations. So I think it's helpful um, to also remember that things aren't always as they seem, and that's why we need to be discerning. Sometimes um, things can sound pretty straightforward and logical, but once you start discerning the motive, the background, and all that, it might not be as it seems. Mm -hmm. But when we apply God's Word to it, Discerning rightly can help us avoid sin and possibly hurting ourselves and others. Even if something is labeled Christian, it doesn't mean it's okay, unfortunately. Sometimes Christian novels, music, podcasts, not this one. Thank you. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean. Even yeah. if it's labeled to a Christian audience, it's, um, it can be filled with theological errors. So we need discernment. Hmm. Yeah. So I really like this description I recently came across in an article I read about discernment. Um, I think it was by John MacArthur. Um, and it's the ability to decide between truth and error, right and wrong. Hmm. It's the process of making careful distinctions and our thinking about truth. I really like how that's simple and to the point. 
We use discernment to make decisions on what is true and false, right and wrong, so that we can avoid wrong thinking and deception. Yeah, I like how you both brought out the word truth in both of what your definitions were like. It's really just looking at what is true and what isn't. And it's interesting. The hard part is we have to weed through things sometimes because mm-hmm. sometimes there's truth blended with you know, mm-hmm. falsehood. So, yeah. okay, let's talk for a minute about real world. Um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the real world examples before we get into the real Christian stuff here. But um, I know I've had some real world fails. My husband and I sat one time, my husband had these, these amazing shoes. They were called Merrill is the brand. And they're, they're kind of, it's M-E-R-R-E-L-L, which is going to come in important later. Okay. They're a bit more on the expensive side, but they're really helpful for his feet. Um, I think they're 75, 100, 125 bucks. He uses them all the time and loves these shoes. And actually, funny part, he had two pairs and I think he thought, he said that these are lasting longer, but I think it's because they were, you know, he (laughs) wore them every other day, you know, (laughs) like, well, yeah, you're not wearing them as much. Um, But one day, um, one of his pairs began to break down and, you know, the amazing thing is he was looking at Facebook or I was looking at Facebook or something and up popped an ad for this pair of shoes, you know? And it was like a great deal. It was like 40 or 45 bucks. The ad looked looked, looked legit. And we thought, okay, well, let's just, you know, maybe there's a good deal. Maybe they're like old. You know how they have old styles and then they're mm-hmm. going to update. So sometimes you do get discounts. Mm-hmm. So we ordered them and then we waited and then we waited and we waited some more. And we started to wonder if this was a scam we thought, okay, I think we've been scammed. We kept watching our account to make sure that it had been taken out or like was somebody like taking huge amounts of money out of our account. You know, I think we used PayPal. But anyway, three or four months later, we actually received these shoes and he opened them. But then we immediately realized they were not the brand. They were actually M-E-R-R-E-L. It didn't have the last L on them. <laughs> and I don't know if we missed it or if it was false advertising. They were like made out of foam, like the kind of foam you, you know. Foam. Yes, it was like foam at the bottom. They didn't fit right. We both laughed a long time about this because neither one of us really <laughs> thought to use discernment. And so, um, and I guess we've learned a lesson. Anything that you see an ad on Facebook, I would really highly use some discernment <laughs> yeah. with it. So what about you guys? I'm sure you've never had issues with discernment and never had faults, faulty advertising, but do you have any stories to share? Well, mine isn't necessarily faulty, faulty advertisement, but lack of discernment. Um, okay. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I knew I wanted an electric toothbrush. I mm. really wanted one. and Keep those pearly whites. Yeah. And one day I was shopping at Meyer, and there they were, like on the end cap. And I hadn't done any research on like what was the best kind or anything, but this one was right here. It was a great price compared to others I'd seen. Hmm. And there it was. So I thought it was a good decision. But just a few months in, I realized why people spend the extra money on the rechargeable kind. (laughs) (laughs) I spent more time and money gathering batteries for this toothbrush. Um, So I decided to do some research and I grabbed a rechargeable one this past Black Friday. Nice. And it's wonderful. It was worth the extra money. Yeah. So sometimes you have to. Let me see your teeth. Are they doing good? Oh, yeah. Look at They're beautiful today. Good job. Thank you. Katie, what about you? Do you have any any examples? So one real-life example that we experienced was when my son was going to buy a used item through an online marketplace. Ah. Um, we had looked at the item. The seller had given legit pictures. There was a description. Mm. We asked a question or two, and the person responded quickly to the question. Nice. But when we asked for um, some more close-up pictures... 
of the item, the seller stopped responding. And so mm. we did some digging um, through the profile and all that and some searches on the internet. And we saw a listing on another selling platform with the exact same pictures, but mm. it was a different price and seller name and everything. It was so probably a little more money. It was actually less on the other oh. site. Um, so thankfully, we were able to see right away that yeah. it was a scam and he was able to avoid losing money um, that he worked really hard to earn. Yeah. So I was thankful that yeah. we could dig around for that. But You I definitely know. need to use discernment. Yes. Buying things online. Yeah. You know, I for sure. I mean, I know this personally from <laughs> our Merrill shoe issue, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a financial one that didn't turn out so well. It wasn't me, but my husband used to do some work with investigating financial crimes. Oh. And one time, well, this happened a few times, but one time in particular, there was an elderly man who gave away nearly all of his savings overseas because he was promised a great return on his investment. Hmm. And I don't remember what the hook was. Um, I think it had something to do with real estate. So he sent his money over, you know, chunks at a time. And his son tried to convince him of the truth that this was too good to be true and probably a scam. Right. And don't send your money overseas. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, the man trusted, you know, this person and, and he just kept on sending the money. And the son was desperate to do something to make him understand, but he just wouldn't. And mm-hmm. there wasn't anything anybody could do. And often, so sad. sadly, these crimes usually don't really get justice. And yeah. The money's just gone. So mm-hmm. Sadly, that happens often to that elderly population yeah. because they're, they're living in a different era, mm-hmm. you know, where they're maybe perhaps when they were like younger, things were more trustworthy, yeah. you know? So, yeah. Okay. So um, since we've talked about like the real world examples, let's talk a little bit about discernment because um, I think one of the things we always want to go back to on the podcast episodes here on Unshaken is what does the Bible say? Mm-hmm. But I don't remember the word discernment even being in the Bible. So is it in there? And where and what does this, what does the Bible teach us about discernment? What, what even would be a good definition, biblical definition? So in some of my reading and digging in the Bible, um, I saw that the word discernment shows up a handful of times um, in my translation, which I use the NASB. Um, we see it in First Kings when Solomon asked for understanding and the ability to discern between good and evil. And then in God's response to him, hmm. which was also in First Kings. Um, it's also used in Psalms as a command to rulers and also as a prayer asking for God to teach the author discernment. And then looking in the New Testament, um, the word is used in Philippians 1, verse 9 through 10. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. So when you look at these verses, I think a good definition would be to have a biblical understanding of the things that come before us and the ability to assess whether something is excellent, meaning the way of the Lord, or not. Oh, that's really good. I like that you you brought out, com- it's like a comparison. There's something with the comparing back and forth. I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, um, the word discernment is scattered throughout the Bible here and there. And um, as Katie mentioned, my first, um, my first thought of it was thinking about King Solomon. Hmm. 
um, is talked about in First Kings, like she said, in Second Chronicles. And it's what I notice is that it's used alongside the word wisdom mm. when talking about King Solomon, which I think is the word that we always associate with him. Is yeah, that mm-hmm. he was wise, yeah. you know. Um, but discernment is in there as well. So God had offered to for Solomon to ask for anything that he would like as he took the throne. And the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and he said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. That's pretty broad. Yeah. Wow. And Solomon chose to say, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. The Lord answered by agreeing that he would give Solomon a wise and discerning mm. heart. There's both those together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Um, in the Philippians passage that Katie quoted, you know, Paul is writing this letter and he's telling the people about his great love for them and how he's thankful for them. And um, and she read she read it, but I'm going to read it again because it goes into something else I'm going to say. Um, he says, This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Hmm. So what I learn from these two passages is that, you know, with King Solomon, he was a man of high position and power. He knew he would be called on to make decisions. And we were called on to make decisions, even if they're not, you know, over the nation. Right. <laughs> um, but he clearly valued wisdom and discernment so much that he chose this over wealth or long life. And so it causes me to ask myself, how much do I value wisdom and discernment? Hmm. And do I understand how necessary it is? So that causes me to think more about that. And then in the Philippians passage, um, I learned that discernment would help them to approve things that are excellent, to be sincere and blameless, all these things that you know we would want. So a simple definition based on that might be the ability to make decisions that glorify God. Great. That's a good de- good definition. And that's a great base for what we're going to talk about because that's really what we want is we want to make decisions about the things in our lives that glorify God. Mm-hmm. So I love that you brought that. That's a simple one. But even through both those passages that you guys both talked about, we can see the application Mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. discernment and how to do that. Th- this is because sometimes we need to apply the topic of discernment and know how to do it. And that's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going we're gonna to spend some time both talking about what discernment is and why we need it, but also we're going to actually apply it in a specific way today. But it could be applied in many ways in the world and, I, I, and in the church. So, mm-hmm. But before we do that, though, why do we need to use discernment? Why, do, why does it even matter? Well, if you go back to that passage that we both mentioned in Philippians, Philippians 1, uh, verse 9 through 10, we need it so that we know what is excellent. Mm. Uh, So we know the way of the Lord and can walk in obedience to Him. Um, And I like what Andrea said, and glorify Him Mm -hmm. in that. Um, And so we're not tossed to and fro by every idea or teaching that we hear and see. I've always loved that. Is that in James? Tossed to and fro? Yeah. I think it is, and I loved that passage because it's. I realize how often I can be tossed to and fro mm-hmm. if I don't have a foundation. Mm-hmm. So that's right. a really, really good one. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And you know, sometimes things aren't always clear cut, and they aren't always what they appear to be at first glance. I think there are many situations that sound logical and right, but what does the Bible say about it? You know, we can reason all sorts of things. 
and make it sound acceptable, but that doesn't mean we are right. And if it goes against God's word, we are definitely wrong. Mm-hmm. So when we base decisions or ideas on our own logic and feelings without consulting God's word for accurate discernment, we are in danger of sin and being tossed and fro from one idea to another, like Katie said. God gave us logical minds and feelings, and that's good. But when separated from his standard, they can lead us astray rather than strengthen our decisions. Hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. It's good to be thinking about this. And boy, I'm sure this is no different than all of time. I think decision, you know, I feel like we have lots to discern, but honestly, obviously, it's been around since the Bible days that people had to discern things. So maybe the things change, Mm -hmm. but the topic of discernment stays. So we have, it's something we need to know. Okay. I am a huge list girl. I just sat down this morning and had a list of all the things I have to get done today. I just love writing lists. I actually have been known to do something in my house. Like if I've got a list of the things I have to clean, maybe I decided that day at that moment to clean my microwave, I will literally write it on my list so I can cross it off. (laughs) I do that too. Okay, good. I'm not the only one. It is not something that, it's just the way it is. You know, it's good. So I need a list. So um, what might be a list of things we could ask ourselves or steps that we could use that would help us discern if something is good and godly? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I also I also appreciate a list, Julie. I think that's a good way to look at discerning something. Um, so here are some questions I that just kind of came to mind that you could ask yourself. <clears throat> First, of course, what does God's word say about this? I think of Psalm 119.105 here. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So God's word shows us the way when we aren't sure. Next, do I have all of the necessary information about the issue at hand? Again, not always as it seems at first glance, mm-hmm. kind of with some of our funny, Examples. funny illustrations yeah. at the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Um, does this sound too good to be true? This, you know, gaining something worthwhile often takes work. And I think we can fall into this trap when we're just trying to get something easily. Mm-hmm. Next, um, will this compromise family boundaries we've established? I think this is helpful when making decisions about kids' activities or how we might spend our time. Or a hobby you want to start. Yeah. We talked about hobbies at the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something that might not necessarily be sinful at the mm-hmm. outset, but how much time are you devoting to this? Right. And, you know, have we established some things that we're not going to engage in? And, you know, that helps with discerning if it's right or not for your family. Yeah. Um, something else I think is important to think about is, can this decision wait to be made? Sometimes we make... Um, decisions too quickly before thinking about them, praying about them, especially bigger decisions that might affect other people. Mm. And so that's a question to ask, like, okay, Mm -hmm. can this wait? Can I take some time to think about this? And then if you're married, you know, what does your husband think? This has been helpful to me because I know he has my best interests in mind and he knows me and how I might be tempted to think wrongly so he can help me sort it all out. Yeah. It makes me think your question about can can this decision wait to be made makes me think of the simple rule when you're going to go shopping and you see something, you wait 24 hours. Like that, I'm not talking to get sour cream, okay? <laughs> you know, I think we should get sour cream. I, I'm going to wait 24 hours, you know. Right. But like if yeah. you have a big purchase, you mm-hmm. know, or maybe you're not actually shopping outside, but you're online, there is a benefit in waiting 24 hours to make sure you still need it. Or maybe 
two sets of 24 hours. That'd be 48. I'm so good at math. <laughs> Jeez. I'm still doing math on my own. But yeah, that's really, those are good questions to ask mm-hmm. um, because we need to be kind of like thinking through this. And um, it's not as cut and dry mm-hmm. as we think it is. So let's, let's do this. Let's put it into practice today. We are going to talk about one specific issue that um, we are seeing enter the evangelical church that can cause a lot of issues. And this is not the only kind of issue like this. I will say we're just going to use this one issue, but this, the principles that we're going to talk about and how we're going to work through it are how you can look at anything. And really, this is true of any book you get, any new um, evangelical teacher, preacher, anybody, any new thing coming into the church, we should be evaluating it, you know, with those questions that Andrea just said, you know, what does God's word say about this? You know, do I have all the information that I need? Is it, does it sound too good to be true? You know, will this compromise something in our lives in some way? All right. So our topic today is the Enneagram. And um, have you guys ever heard of this? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a good one because we might actually be a little late to the party. I think it's been around for a while, mm-hmm. but I think it's a good one because we can see the other side of it now mm-hmm. too. So we yeah. aren't just like looking at something from one end. We can see the back end of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's good to talk about. This is one of those things that kind of sounds really spiritual. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, books all over about it, podcasts on it, you know, people who are famous, who are like loving it. I actually even saw recently well, probably about a year ago that um, a local paint, a, a big painting company that you could buy paint from had painting colors in certain that fit with this. Mm. So you would know exactly what. So you'll understand what that means in a little bit as we talk mm-hmm. about this. But if you've ever heard of the Enneagram, um, then listen, because you're going to hear some truth. And if you haven't, then I actually encourage you to stay tuned anyway, because this topic probably will come up maybe in a direct way or maybe in a more subtle way. And I'm really looking forward to hearing both Katie and Andrea's answers on this topic um, and how we are going to learn how to discern and how to look at things through the lens of the Bible. So one big, this big thing of the Enneagram is all over the churches. So let's start really just talking about what it actually is. So give me some history and then how is it infiltrating our culture outside and inside the church? And, and Katie, I'm going to start with you because you and I are actually the reason we started talking about this podcast because we had a conversation after Bible study one night, I think, about this hot topic. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm hoping you have all the info. <laughs> I don't know about all the info, but... Um, well, the Enneagram is a set of nine personality types that are arranged at points along a circle. And then the points are connected in different ways. Um, You can find your personality type by taking a test. They have a lot of those online that you can do. Um, Or reading one of the books, many books, that gives a lengthy description of each type Hmm. to see which one matches you best. Okay. So then with the types, there's subtypes, wings, countertypes, all sorts of connections. Um to give you more insight into your personality. Um, It's described as a way to know yourself and others better so you can live a more authentic life. Mm. Um, In the church, I've heard it described as a helpful way to work on spiritual development, um, to serve and have compassion for others, and also to use it as a ministry tool when working with people inside and outside the church. Mm. Those Um, all sound good. It does. Yep. Okay. All right. I mean, it sounds good. I mean, we, we definitely want to um, know ourselves good. So this is, I'm anxious to hear more. So, <laughs> so 
So I actually learned a lot of what I know about the Enneagram from reading two different books. Um, they're called The Road Back to You and The Path Between Us by a man named Ian Crone. Um, I was encouraged to dive into the Enneagram to have a better understanding of myself and the people around me, like husband, my kids, my friends, um, people in the church, um, and that this would in turn help me in my relationships hmm. and to serve others. Which another in another time, that sounds good. It did sound good. Yep. So I remember um, when I was reading about the Enneagram, it, it it was mostly just about what it was and finding your personality. Um, there wasn't a ton of history, but okay. after um, I had done some digging on my own, after I was prompted by the Holy Spirit, um, just had like an off feeling. So mm-hmm. I did some digging and I got a little more understanding about the roots of Enneagram, mm. which just helped me to have more discernment with this. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you kind of like... Um, you know, the initial, like we said earlier, the initial sounds good. Right. But then you have to kind of go a little deeper. So give us exactly. some more deeper info. Okay. So according to a couple of different histories I've read, there were a mixture of a few men who were involved in developing and using the Enneagram. And from what I've read, it could potentially date back to the early 1900s. Hmm. Um, and it seems like the symbol that's used, so there's a symbol that, I already said where the points are along a circle, um, that that may have some ancient origins. Okay. They sort of took that and used it. Okay. So um, all three of the men that are attributed to using, developing, and teaching the Enneagram, their names are George Gurdjieff and then Oscar Ichazo and Claudio Naranjo. Hmm. Um, they were also involved in teaching ideas connected to New Age, psychology, cosmology, metaphysics, spirituality, and what they called inner work. Hmm. Um, So these ideas of new age spirituality, along with components from what they labeled mystical Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Taoism, Buddhism, and ancient Greek philosophy, um, seem to be the basis for the Enneagram. So Hmm. those were kind of worked into the different ideas that were put into this. Hmm. It sounds like a salad. It does sound like a salad of (laughs) lots of questionable ideas. Yes, yes. So, and then the goal of the Enneagram is to help you develop self-knowledge, to grow in self-awareness and self-acceptance, lots of selves in there. Yeah. So you can be, this is a quote from one of the books, The Road Back to You, so that you can be, quote, reunited with our truest and best selves. Hmm. So in that book, the author quotes a man named Thomas Merton. And um, when they're describing the purpose of using the Enneagram, and um, this is the quote that they give, before we can become who we really are, we must become conscious of the fact that the person who we think we are here and now is at best an imposter and a stranger. Becoming conscious is where the Enneagram comes in. So their point is you use the Enneagram to become aware of the your true self, mm. and then you can live a more authentic life. Yeah. I like those little keywords that they throw in. Authentic is a big one. Yes. It's kind of a hot topic word. It Makes it sound better to it me. It does. So <clears throat> over the years, a lot of secular circles use the Enneagram. Um, I saw that 
like a lot of businesses picked it up for staff development. Um, and as we have society loudly saying uh, around us that the most important thing in life is to know yourself and to live your true authentic self, that something like the Enneagram would be... Oh, they would be... Would rushing to get it a great tool well like i mentioned about the paint colors which sounds really stupid i could think i could see that people could go i need to buy this paint color because it's it's in it's helping me with my authentic self right you know right so that's interesting so in recent years it has moved from the secular world into the church Um, a lot of christian authors started picking up the use of the Enneagram and then writing about it. Mm. So there are a lot of books actually that are um, geared toward Christians about the Enneagram. Um, Influential voices in some Christian circles like uh, Franciscus Friar named Richard Rohr and the Episcopal priest that wrote the book I mentioned already, Ian Crone, started to teach the Enneagram as a biblical way for God to help, quote, restore us to our authentic selves the person he created when he knit you in your mother's womb. Hmm. So linking the Enneagram to a way to find who God made you to be, I think was very appealing to the Christian community. Sure. I mean, we all want to live right. how God created us to live. Um, it was also said to be a great way to improve relationships with others, like I mentioned already. Uh, so unity in the body, something that we... I mean, the Bible talks about unity. Exactly. Yep. Um, and to perform the work God has for us more effectively. If you know yourself better and you know others better, you can be more effective in um, your Christian work. Um, it's also said to be a great way to improve. Oh, I already said that. Sorry. That's okay. <clears throat> so who doesn't want to live the life they were created to live and have better relationships? I know I do. And that right. was something that was appealing to me when I heard about the Enneagram. It sounds very appealing especially to the believer who is called to live in peace with others and to faithfully do the work of the Lord in the world. Um, I actually became familiar with Enneagram when other believers around me um, told me that would help me grow spiritually and relationally um, and have a more godly marriage, to live more effectively for Christ. I mean, Hmm. those were all things I desired in my life. So it was like, ooh, that yep. sounds great. Like a great way to yep. improve that. Yep. I'll buy this book sure. and read it and do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that I have um, listened to a podcast, and I think you have listened to the same podcast yes. episode. What is that? So if you wanted to learn more about the history of the Enneagram, there's a podcast that Alisa Childers did, and she interviewed a woman named Marsha Montegero. I think I said that right. Montenegro. Montenegro. Um. I just think that's a really fun last name, too, right. by the way. <laughs> it is. Anyway, it was a great podcast. Yeah. Marsha is a believer who actually came out of New Age, uh, some New Age stuff. And now she has a ministry called Christian Answers for the New Age, where she just warns Christians about mm-hmm. a lot of that and <clears throat> um, and has just really great insight into that area, specifically with Enneagram. Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight that podcast is the fact that um, we are not covering everything in this podcast on this topic. We're really talking about discernment, but we thought, let's use a real life example that is affecting churches. And 
um, I think it's helpful to kind of walk through this because um, this is one thing we need to discern, mm-hmm. but there are many. In fact, as we were preparing for this episode, I saw so many things pop out. I saw a new um, Bible translation that has problems with it and needs to be discerned that it's not mm-hmm. a good thing to read or use as your Bible. Um, I, I've seen many things, and it just keeps popping up. And so well, this is just an example. So we don't have all the answers. Right. You had a lot of answers, Katie, but not all of them. <laughs> I know you You agree with me that it's just not, we couldn't even cover it all. No. So I, I will say it seems to me that figuring out you, you know, not you personally, but, you know, yourself would be helpful. So would you say that this is a good tool to use? So the thing that the Lord kept bringing to my mind when I was reading the Enneagram book and had listened to a couple of podcasts about it was um, that we're called to know him. That thought just kept coming to my Mm. mind. Um, Scripture clearly tells us this. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Mm. John 17.3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we're clearly called to know Christ and to go grow in our knowledge of him. Hmm. We are not called or told to figure out ourselves, <laughs> um, to know ourselves better. In fact, another thing that would sort of run through my mind was the verse in Galatians, um, where it says that we died. Mm-hmm. God's word says that we died with Christ and yeah. now live our life in him as new creations. So I think that anything that takes our focus away from going in um, the knowledge of the Lord and puts it somewhere else, especially on ourselves, would not be considered a helpful tool in the life of a Christ follower. Yeah, that's really that's really helpful because that's actually uh, the core piece, mm-hmm. I think, of this whole thing. Right. And I think that's important to remember. We're not here to get to know ourselves and learn more about ourselves. And that's something the world tells us we should do all the time. Right. This is just one little idea, but all the time. But really, it's to grow in our knowledge of God. Exactly. Yeah. So is is what is right with the Enneagram? So for me, I feel like just knowing the roots of the Enneagram and its history in questionable theology um, and the fact that it's putting your focus on yourself— I don't think it's really a tool that Christians need to mm. um, to be utilizing. Okay. Um, even if it would produce good something good, like a good earthly result, it doesn't mean that it's biblical and we should be using right. that. Right. So I would kind of steer clear. Yeah. Stay away from it, right? Yep. All right. So what what's wrong with, I mean, it sounds like it is wrong. So where does sin fit into this? Is there sin involved? Maybe that's the question I should ask. So the fact that its roots are in beliefs and ideas and even other religions, I think, obviously, is a big problem. Yeah, with red flag, them. red flag. That's a huge red right. flag. Um, am I, recently, I've been reading through some of the books of the Old Testament, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And the Good Israelites, for you. Those are hard to read. So I give you an extra credit point. Were, right but there. I'm glad I dug into that. Yeah. Get a yeah. bigger picture of God. Yes. And one of the things I saw was the Israelites were going to the other gods around them and mm-hmm. getting themselves into some big trouble. Yeah. And God was not happy with that. 
That doesn't just happen in Jeremiah and Ezekiel no, either. No, <laughs> it does not. It's a theme going on. So, yeah. Exactly. So they were turning to those things around them rather than turning to God and his word. And we are doing the same thing when we seek to know anything, including who we are and how we function in our life with others outside of God and mm-hmm. his word. I really like what Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Mm. So when we seek out and follow ideas that are according to the ideas and thoughts of men, we are at risk of being deceived. Mm. And that's exactly what this is. The Enneagram is a system developed according to man's ideas. So to put our eyes on ourselves rather than on God and his kingdom, which goes right into the next wrong, I think, of the Enneagram, which is that it encourages you to look at yourself and not to Christ like we're called to do. Yeah, that's really good to point out that this was, you know, made according to men. Exactly. And I think that's something that we can look at in a lot of the Christian world when things are, I mean, when they're made according to men and, the, and men are highlighted. We got a problem. So yeah, that's good. Uh, That is really interesting because it is something we tend to want to do. I feel like we're always trying to figure things out, right? Mm -hmm. And look for ways to understand things outside of the Bible. You know, what's the phrase? If something seems too good to be true, then it probably is like the shoes I mentioned earlier and the little old gentleman you talked about, Andrea, with, you know, that he was sending money somewhere. Oh, and this is true that we're trying to figure things out. If somebody thinks, says they figured something out, we better be aware you know, like in the Bible, if they say, oh, I know, I know exactly the right thing. This is what you have to do, but it doesn't include the Bible. We have a problem. So we need to go back to what the Bible says always. Um, so should we even use this, and I put in quotes, tool to help us? I would say no. Um, I think the best tools we have access to are the Holy Spirit and God's Word in the Bible. I mean, He gave us what we need, mm-hmm. right, um, to figure out everything in life. Both will reveal anything the Lord wants us to see about ourselves and also help us to make any adjustments or address any sin that is causing us to walk in disobedience or is negatively impacting our relationships with others. You don't have to go to something like the Enneagram to figure that out. Right. God God is trustworthy to show you those things mm-hmm. and even show you in His Word how to work mm-hmm. on them. Have Andrea, um, have you ever had been in a church somewhere where they had to do a personality test or have you been in a job where you had to do a personality test? Yeah. Um, I remember taking the Myers-Briggs. Yes. You know, that was the big one. in college. Yeah. Um, freshman year. And it was to identify where you, well, I think part of it was to think about what job yeah. you might want to yeah. gear your studies toward. Um but I think that's the only one I've ever taken. I don't okay. know. I I don't know much about the enneagram, and I've not right. been in a church that has ever required a personality right. test or anything. Yeah. But yeah, the Myers Briggs, and I I always found that it didn't match up to what I thought. Oh, I was okay, <laughs> or what yeah. I would actually enjoy. So I always yeah. thought it was <laughs> little off, a little off. Yeah. I um my husband and I were in a church where they pushed personality tests to help you figure out where your spiritual gifts would mm-hmm. be. This was a few churches ago. And um, the test gave you a name of an animal. So my husband was a dog because he's loyal oh, yeah. and, and steady and faithful. And I was a rabbit, <laughs> which is really funny to think about when you really 
but they sort of fit, you know. But wait, wait, let's talk about why you are right. Because oh, <laughs> I'm energetic and I'm bouncing everywhere yeah, and I okay, like okay, lots of yeah. parties. Okay. That's what I was so, say, but, yeah. <laughs> but it was interesting because you can pigeonhole yourself into this and think that's all you are. So I did a little research on my own over here um, and I f- went to the website workstyle.com because. This is something that happens in workplaces. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wanted to talk a little bit about personality tests. Okay, so I did my own research on personality tests because um, I've taken many over the years. I'm always trying to, like, over the years try to figure it out. And then I have, a, have had churches that did this. Um, in around the year 460 BC, so long time ago, way back at the beginning of times, Hippocrates suggested that humans had a persona, a personality that was comprised of four distinct temperaments. He suggested that... What, whichever fluid, you know, at that time was more dominant in a person, it determined their humor, and then it determined their different personality. And then later on in 1879, Wilhelm Wundt, what a, what a great name, by the way, <laughs> became not only the father of psychology, but became the first person to draw a clear distinction between the human body and a human personal theory. So he kind of decided that, you know, we could have we can, it's different. We have personalities. And then, of course, this is a guy we all have heard of, Sigmund Freud. He's got to be a part of this. He was the founder of psychodynamic approach. That's this, what Sigmund Freud went through. He had a lot of things to say, but probably not very many of them good. But he suggested that our personality was a lot more complex than originally suggested and that our behavior and personality is driven by our, our innate drives and our needs. And maybe there's some truth in that, but here's the thing probably Sigmund Freud did not learn or talk about is that our our innate drives and needs are all based on sin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he missed that little piece, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. a big piece. So I think people have always tried to been figure out who they are since the dawn of time. Like, you know, why do you guys think that people are always trying to figure out who they are? And where do we actually find out who we are? I think people have a desire to know their purpose and live their best lives. And often take the route of trying to figure out who they are, their strengths, their weaknesses, et cetera, and then turning to the wisdom of the world to boost those strengths and address weaknesses to ensure success in life. Hmm. I also think the world encourages us to be self-sufficient, and you kind of need to know yourself in order to do that. Um, I admit I've fallen into this category in life. You know, I want to know my purpose. I Mm want to be successful in what the Lord has for me and also be self-sufficient. So when I looked for answers in the world, I always came up short though. Mm. Um, It never worked anything that I had gleaned from the world's wisdom. And when I attempt to be self-sufficient, I always seem to find I'm never enough. Mm. (laughs) Go figure. Yeah. Um, So what good news we have as Christ followers, that we don't need to know or rely on ourselves to have a purposeful, victorious life. We just need Jesus. I mean, I know that sounds really cliche, but it is truth. Mm -hmm. Um, He is enough. He is our victory in life. He is all we need to rely on because he gives us all we need. And he has prepared and advanced the work for our lives. So we don't have to spend a bunch of time figuring that out. Mm -hmm. He's done it for us and will reveal it to us. Um, as we live according to him. Yeah. Um, this summer at our in our um, church, we're reading a book that's been very helpful in that area. And Andrea, you're actually the one who brought up this book. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the book? Who Am I? Who Am I by, by Jerry, Jerry Bridges. Bridges yeah. Okay. So what about, what do you think, Andrea, about finding our identity? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I thought of that book too when thinking about this. Um, I immediately think, you know, identity in Christ. Trying to find out who we are, quote unquote, is often very subjective and it's often tied to things that can change. If we answer, or if who we are is answered by our vocation, our financial status, or our natural abilities, our marital status, etc., that could, it could even be answered with maybe feelings. You know, I'm sensitive. I'm strong-willed. I know mm. what I want and I go for it. I'm a rabbit. Right? <laughs> I'm a rabbit. <laughs> Those are things that we kind of feel on the inside. Right. But they too can change either because we decide to change or the change is forced on us. You know, maybe um, somebody says that, talks to me about being strong-willed. And so it's like, okay, yeah, that doesn't go well. I'm going to change. You know, like we can right. choose to, to do these things also. Um, but when we place who we are or our identity in Christ, then that doesn't change. There's a lot of security in that. Right. So... When the career woman decides to stay home full-time with her new baby, she doesn't have to have an identity crisis if she finds her identity and her worth, who she is, in Christ and all that he has called her to be. Right. And that's true for, you know, um, a single woman can find her identity in Christ oh, yeah. and not mm-hmm. say that she has to be married. Yeah, that was just mm-hmm. an example. Yeah, but I mean, I, I was just <laughs> processing through all those different types of examples yeah. in life that we have where we find ourselves mm-hmm. finding our identity and our worth in what we do mm-hmm. or in our status. Yeah. But our identity and worth should be in Christ. Mm-hmm. So that that's good. And that book is, um, what is it called again? Who Am I? It's on my desk and I can never remember the name. <laughs> You'd think I should by Jerry Bridges. We'll put it in our show notes because that is a great book to read. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, it's it's real short. Yeah, it's a very easy read. Yeah, but very good, very good yeah. book. Um, uh, so now that this this may not seem super mainstream, like maybe this isn't going to affect me or you, I do see a lot of issues. So, should we be using these sorts of tests at all? You know, is it okay to take a personality test? Um, and do they have a place in the church? You know, what's good about them and what is bad? So recently, I've been reading through uh, Rachel Jankovic's book, You Who, um, for oh. one of our women's summer book clubs. Another good book. Yes. We'll put that in our show notes. It was very good. Well, we're going to have a lot big show notes today. <laughs> um, she brings up a great point when it comes to personality tests. She points out how often our answers to these tests to assess our personality are often linked to how we behave or think in the flesh. Mm-hmm. So... She asks questions like, do you like to be the center of attention at a party? Do you tend to stress out or get worried easily? Do you prefer variety or routine? Um, All of these questions are asking you to think of yourself after the flesh. How do we know this? Because as she points out in the book, the answers to this question or these questions would vary quite widely based on how much you are behaving according to the flesh and how much according to the spirit. So in the flesh, I may have a bend toward feeling stressed out, but if I'm walking in obedience according to the Spirit, my reaction to things in my life would be quite different, Hmm. and that personality trait changes. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, I think when we focus on these personality traits of our flesh, we take our eyes off of Christ being conformed to Him and walking according to the Spirit. And we can also start to justify our behavior or lack of behavior because we say, 
this is not my strength or that's not who I am. Mm. I've done this myself actually with um, hospitality. Hmm. I'm more of an introvert and having people over and in my space is not a strength of mine. So it's not something I need to, I would tell myself it's not something I need to make a priority because that's, I'm just not good at that. That's not Mm. how God made me. Mm, That's (laughs) Um, very interesting. Right. So the problem is, that is a fleshly, fleshly response. And when held up to scripture, it really falls apart. We're commanded in God's word to show hospitality. Right. There, there's not a footnote next to that verse that says, unless you're an introvert, then right. please disregard. <laughs> right. <laughs> as much as I sometimes wish there were. Right. Um, so, and this can go for a lot of these personality traits of ours. Um, again, I love what Rachel had to say about this in her book. She says, forget yourself. What is he Christ-like? He loves his children. He wants us to be hospitable. If we are abiding in him, it is not our preferences, but his preferences that define us. We are not the same people we were before obedience, and we shouldn't want to be. You are not a certain personality type becoming a different one, but Mm -hmm. rather an obedient or disobedient Christian becoming more obedient or less obedient, more Christ-like or less Christ-like. So I would say ditch the tests and look to Christ. Take those things about yourself, your fleshly traits, and give them to him and let him transform you. Hmm. That's really helpful. Wow. Yeah, that is really helpful. Um, And I would just expand on something you said and highlight the fact that if we label ourselves a certain type based on a personality test, it becomes very easy to just continue in certain sins Mm -hmm. and embrace them rather than fight them. If I think I'm a certain personality type, I label myself that way, kind of like you did, Mm -hmm. you know, with the hospitality bit. Um, And then, though, I think I actually can't change because Mm. it's part of my makeup. Right. So maybe not that I even think I should, but that I think, no, I can't because this is just who I am. Um, But 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells me that in Christ, I am a new creation. If I am in Christ, I have the power of the Holy Spirit to be changed from even my most ingrained sinful habits or leanings. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of freedom in believing that I can be changed and it's not in my own strength. This reminds me a little bit, um, back when I was in high school, there was a friend of mine and she really liked this guy. He was just, oh, like everything to her. And I was a cheerleader. She was a cheerleader. And we put, um, we would do it. We'd hand out roses. You could buy roses to earn money for the cheerleading club or whatever. I don't remember what it was for. But we'd sell roses at Valentine's Day. So I remember sitting there with her. And we had this, so interesting, this little box that the school had let us buy. And you could put this computer-generated thing, put in all this information, and then we would send it through, and then it would come out with your exact um, type of person you should date, okay? So um, the people would fill out these papers. We'd take them in. We'd put them through, and then a few days later, we'd have their exact perfect date, and it would match you up with other people. Oh, no. I don't even know why my (laughs) school allowed this. So my friend really liked this guy. So... He comes up to the table with his little paper and he gives it and she goes, and then he leaves and she goes, before you put that through, let me see it. So she marked all of hers to (gasps) match his perfect. We sent them through and of course they came up as a perfect match in this stupid computer thing. It came out on like one of those um, 
I mean, this is back in the 90s. Like the perforated Yes, sides. it was perforated <laughs> sides and you'd get a ripoff, you know? Okay, but here's the thing that's interesting and it made me think of it as you guys were talking about personality tests. We, like she, wanted that to happen. Mm-hmm. She wanted to have it come up as a perfect match. But we maybe really want a certain type of personality mm-hmm. or we don't like certain traits, so we don't want to do them. And that's really flesh. Mm-hmm. And I think of the times that I've done those tests because the church or a job required me to do them, it makes you kind of look negatively also upon others mm-hmm. because their personality trait, like I'm very extroverted. Okay. I'm very out there. So I can easily look negative upon the person who doesn't want to be out there. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And yet the reality is God made both of us mm-hmm. and we both, I have to practice stepping back. So I think it's really helpful to think through those how easy our flesh gets in there, how easy sin is actually a part of those tests Mm -hmm. as we go through. Yeah. And a side note, Katie and I are memorizing Romans 8. Oh, okay. Do you want to do (laughs) it right now? No, no, no. (laughs) Not yet. But I will tell you, though, that um, as she was talking about this flesh and spirit, Mm -hmm. you know, the Romans 8 says the mind set on the flesh is Mm. death, Mm. but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Awesome. I think that might be verse six. Okay, well, good but for anyway, you. But you know, okay. you can see how that happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's either yep. death or life and peace. So. And that's a little plug for getting a friend and memorizing together. <laughs> yeah. So that's good. We're doing it in a group of four people. Yes. Good for you. All right. So you both have children, and I do too, which is really fun, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how can we teach our children to discern what they read, think, hear, listen to? What do you guys think? Katie, why don't you start us off? We can teach them to read and know God's word, which is the source of all truth and can be their true north with all they take into their minds and hearts. But when they study the real deal, the Bible, when they have God's truth hidden away in their hearts, so memorizing scripture is good for that, it will be something the Holy Spirit can use to bring that little check that something's off Mm -hmm. in what they're hearing or reading. Um, I've also tried to teach my kids something um, God had shown me several years ago when I was praying about discernment in an area, and that was to be like the Bereans. Um, in Acts 17.11, the Bereans are people who are described as being noble-minded. Um, they're described this way because they receive the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Mm. Um, I want my kids, and myself for that matter, to be eager to grow in their knowledge of the Lord, and to learn the things of his kingdom and being teachable and having a desire to receive teaching from a godly authority is really important mm-hmm. to learn and grow in the Lord. And then I want them to take all that they hear and hold it up to God's word, running it through the filter of his truth to know if those things they've heard are in alignment with that, helping them to grow in these two areas. I think um, whether it's doing it on their own with the things they hear or read, or even like working through through something as a family with mm. a, having like a discussion right. about it would be really helpful. But just that, I think it's so important to um, teach them to ask questions and mm-hmm. hold things up to God's word when they have that feeling of yep. something being off. Yeah, that's really helpful. I like how you said your base is God's word. And then mm-hmm. how that's what you go back to. Exactly. And of course, we don't have like the Enneagram is not listed in the Bible. No. 
it's not actually in there, just so we all know, make it clear. <laughs> but it is good because a lot of the principles we talked about are. Mm-hmm. So exactly. Um, so why, why is it important to teach our kids this? Well, I think it's important so that they're not carried into false teaching and false wrong thinking, which yeah. then leads to wrong actions, um, action, yeah. and then walking in sin. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And kids are very impressionable. You know, I think we all know that. Mm -hmm. So by teaching them to discern what they read, think, and hear, we are helping them form truths in their most impressionable years that they will likely follow. It'll likely follow them their whole life. Like Katie said, with the Bereans and their careful study of God's word, we want our kids to have careful study of what they're being told so they can see how it lines up with scripture. They're being told a lot from many Mm -hmm. sources. And sometimes things sound very true and right until you give them some careful study. So teaching them how to discern while they're young, while they're impressionable and in our home will help them through all of life. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Mm -hmm. And I love this, um, you know, not just, okay, so there's a little warning in this, though, not just to teach our kids the Bible for knowledge, Mm -hmm. but this is actually taking it one step further in the application Mm because we can easily stop with the kids with our kids and be like, oh, you know, they know all the kings of, you know, Israel in the Old Testament Mm -hmm. and they can memorize Romans 8 and 6 and 9 and everything, you know, but we need to also teach them how to apply it. Mm -hmm. And that's really what discernment is, isn't Mm -hmm. it? It's learning to apply. And I love how you both brought that out. It's not just knowing God's word, it's knowing it and living it, Mm -hmm. which is good. Okay, so um, how can we help our children, especially our teens, our young adults, because there's just such a push right now <laughs> to be who you are, right? right. Um, when the world yells at them all the time, you know, like this idea of self-image, self-worth is in every th- social media platform, every th- article on the, on the internet. How can we help them with this stuff? So I think we need to be really diligent to teach them to recognize the lies the world tells them and teach them what is the truth from God's word. Um, When the world is yelling lies at them, we need to respond even louder and more often with the truth. Mm. The world tells us the lie that we should keep our eyes fixed on ourselves and wants us to define our worth based on very subjective things um, like our titles, our occupation, our strengths and abilities, what we look like, um, Mm. our social status. Whether we're living or our authentic selves, that's a really big one that the world says we should be doing. Um, And I think there are two issues here with this. Um, First, these things could change at any moment. If my worth is found in the fact that I'm an amazing runner, um, but then that would never be me on a side note. (laughs) Just just so you both know, I am not an amazing runner, but you go ahead, Katie. I do like to run, but I would not say I'm an amazing runner. (laughs) Okay, okay. but then something were to happen to prevent me from running, what am I going to do? Mm, uh, my point. self-worth goes down because I can no longer do the thing that brought me my purpose or mm. defined who I was. I and mean, then I think the second thing is this is not how God's word defines who we are. Mm. Um, so I've been reading the, the book that you guys mentioned earlier, um, also in a four-week study this month, um, Who Am I by Jerry Bridges. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, And this is exactly the wrong thinking that he is talking about uh, with his writing. He says in the intro of his book regarding defining who we are based on these subjective things, um, 
that as Christians, however, our identity is to be found in our relationship with Christ, not our subjective and often negative life experiences. And then this is what his college ministry focus on, focuses on teaching the students to combat the world's way of defining who they are. Hmm. Um, and this is what we need to be teaching our children every day to drown out what the world is saying. Um, God's word says we are new creations. We are loved. We are justified. We are adopted. Hmm. We are part of a royal priesthood and we are servants of the king. And we have been equipped for good works that our father planned in advance for our lives. Um, this is just a short list. But powerful one. Exactly. <laughs> um, of who God's word says we are. And I think this is how we teach our children to answer that question hmm. um, and to combat that that lying uh, concept that tells us yes, that. that the world's saying, yeah. like, who are you? And you need to find it by these subjective things. So, well, yeah, and not to get off on a completely different topic, but that is what's going on in our world in regard to um, wanting to transition into something else. Exactly. I mean, that's actually the core of it, mm -hmm. is not knowing who you are, that how God made you, and who, what you're here for. Right. Yeah. Wow. And so I think that book was really helpful. He goes, each chapter covers one of those um, topics. Topics. Yeah. One of those definitions of who you are. The Bible says who you are. Um, and I think it's just been a great, I've really learned yeah. a lot and Me it's too. really helped weed out some lies, I think. Well, and it's kind of one of those books that um, I have a, a few books that I read frequently, like I read them every few years. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those books I think we should pull back out because I've been a Christian for, wow, a long time now. <laughs> I mean, I really became alive in Christ when I was like 11. Mm -hmm. And so if I go back, that's like 40 some years ago. And so, you know, this is a book to read no, every- it's not. Not 40 some years ago. Oh, 38 years ago or something <laughs> like that. Thank you. I'm 49. So 38 years ago. Yes, 38 years ago. <laughs> wow. Thanks for throwing me out there, Andrea. Don't make no, me, I was making you younger. You're trying to. You and thank you. To thank you. Older. Okay. Anyway, um, I do think that it is helpful to read those frequently. Right. Easy to get off. And so it's good to kind of have a book like that that you keep on your shelf mm -hmm. and that you can reference. That's mm -hmm. good. Okay, so how can we help our kids learn this discernment? Like what are some like real practical ways? So we can do Bible studies as a family. You can memorize God's word. Um, we can share our own experiences using discernment. I know I've done that with my mm -hmm. children. I've just talked to them about times when the Lord helped me to discern something or even maybe a time when I started to get in the weeds and mm -hmm. God turned me around yeah. and said, nope, no, yep. don't go there because that's happened too. Um, I also think this is where their participation in a youth group study um, with other adults or other Bible studies with other adults and kids has been really helpful for our family. Um, the conversations they have about what they're reading have been invaluable um, in those group settings, especially in the area of discernment. Mm. I actually have a real-life example okay. of this. Okay. Um, so my kids are in the youth group, and my daughter just finished up her first year with uh, Daughters of Israel, which is a Sunday school class for 8th and ninth grade girls. And they study various books um, alongside the Bible. And then they spend time discussing different uh, worldly ideas uh, this this past year, specifically regarding women and feminism, hmm. um, and then learning how to hold those ideas up to what God's word has to say about it. So after a few months in, 
one night, um, my daughter came to my husband and I with a book she had received from a family member for Christmas. And she handed it over to us and said, I don't think I should be reading this. Hmm. Um, She opened it up and pointed to some parts that she knew from her study of God's word and discussions in the Sunday school class with her leaders um, that they were contrary to truth and, you know, just were not according to God's word. Um, And then she left the book with us. So she was taking what she had learned, not just from us. I mean, we've had these conversations in our home, but um, from her study of the Bible with other godly, Mm -hmm. wise adults in the church and then applying it, which is exactly what we want to see our kids do. That's right. um, Mm -hmm. With all of this information we give them. And I think having those other adults guiding her alongside my husband and I made a big difference. Um, sometimes we parents can say all the things to our kids, yep. uh, but it can make an even bigger impression on them when there's another church family member speaking truth, saying the same thing, and teaching them alongside us. Yeah. Uh, just like double impact. And, and, so, and just a little plug about making sure that you're in a good church. Right. Exactly. Because, you know, we can think, oh, we're in a church, we're good. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. these people are speaking good things, but we do need to be evaluating what our kids are bringing home from wherever. And if the church that you're in is not teaching from God's word, if they're teaching from, you know, a book written by an author all the time, Mm -hmm. you really need to be thinking about that and be praying about it because we want wise individuals. Exactly. In our lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, That's a great story, Katie. I'm glad you shared that. I've heard many times kids will finally listen to a youth leader who say the exact same things yes. <laughs> that the parents have been saying for years. Um, so I, too, think that the best way we can teach our kids discernment is to teach them God's word. If we teach them what God says about himself and his expectations for us, then they will have a framework when it comes to deciding if something is truth or error. And equipping them with truth that is outside of their own perceptions and their limited knowledge will help them trust their ability to discern when they can't quite reconcile why something might seem wrong. Hmm. They don't have all that in themselves that background to make knowledge. that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we need to provide that for them. Um, and like Katie said, it's important to read God's word with them. When I have found when you read and study together, it brings up so many great conversations that they can then apply to their life. I'm amazed at how often something that we've read in the morning can be brought up later mm-hmm. again in a real life scenario, either <laughs> between their siblings or something that's going on. And when you memorize God's word together, you're enabling them to pull out the exact word that God has has for them when they need to decide what is right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think a great way to teach our kids is to just be talking with them and be willing to answer their questions. They're naturally curious, so they will ask questions about what they see and hear. We were at a store once, and one of my kids, I think around seven years old at the time or so, asked me about an employee who was clearly transgender. Mm. It could have been very easy and comfortable for me to respond with, don't talk about people, that's not nice. And then just... I mean, that sounds motherly. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Right. But that didn't provide an answer. Mm -hmm. They, that will only teach our kids to not come to us with their questions. 
they want real answers and we want to be the ones to answer those questions. Hmm. So instead, I was able to take her straight to Genesis 1 and say, what does God say about how he created people? So it was a time to teach her how to use God's word to discern right and wrong. And since then, she's come to me with similar questions that just keep getting deeper and deeper. Mm -hmm. Um, And I definitely want to be the one to answer those questions and having her know that I'm willing to talk about those things helps helps her keep them. And and along with when you're pointing out to your daughter that this person is living wrong, there's a piece of it that says they're also made in God's image Mm -hmm. and they need Jesus. Like, so we're not doing it in a way that is being mean about people. We're saying they need Jesus. And I know you do that. And I do that. And, you know, they need, we need to teach our kids that the ability to understand that people live in the world because they're in the world, they live like the world. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you brought that up. That's a great example. I I will say that, you know, I agree with both of your comments. They were excellent. I will say I'm a little further along in the parenting journey. So I can comment now that I've got three adult kids who are like either out of the house or on their way out of the house. And, couple teenagers. One thing that I think has been really helpful is that we do need to teach our kids to read the Bible, as you've said, use it as our plumb line, our, our guidebook um, for what we're doing and reading and thinking about it. I love that you brought out, Andrea, that we should do these things together. You know, it shouldn't be like, here's your Bible, here's this. And as your kids get older, we just don't read the Bible together as much anymore. Life is just busy. But my kids read their Bibles. And that's what really I want them to do and start doing it. Yeah, um, I think it kind of transitions yeah. to more of like a family thing at with dad, it's more involved when they get older. Yeah, you know, and as and well, like a, yes, a dinner table, or at something. dinner table, mm-hmm. or you might you might even have nights when you don't read the Bible together. But if your kids are reading it, they're and you're talking about mm-hmm. it with them, you're having good conversations. Mm-hmm. My daughter, one of my kids, um, we see this phrase, "I am enough," mm-hmm. everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere. Like I saw it on the church sign. Yes, around mm-hmm. not our church, no, but a I, church. A church sign. Yeah. Is it, yeah. And I, we laugh about it because we think we need to have a T-shirt that says, actually, I'm not enough, but Jesus is, you know, yeah. because it's, it's interesting. It's almost humorous now that we've seen these little pieces and my, my daughter or my kids can discern. And, and I love that. And I, mm-hmm. I also want to put a little point out there for um, the idea that this isn't to live, the discernment is not living in a fortress. Mm-hmm. This isn't keeping, and, and you both happen to homeschool, which is fine. I homeschooled too. But being a fortress is we never let anybody into our house and we think we're going to keep our kids all safe and we're going to be their constant discerner. And you know, when your kids are little, you are. You're not going to let them watch, you know, a rated R TV show when they're seven, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so you're going to be their discerner. When they're 21, they need to decide that for Mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. And so it changes over time. And it's easy sometimes to think as moms, I will attest to this because I've done this, that I can control this mm-hmm. and that I'm going to be my kid's discerner for the rest of their life. I'm going to help them. And if I do that, I build a fortress in my house. And I never, I think that they're going to be perfect in my house and there's never going to be sin, even though I would never say that. But we've seen this in famous people that they had this fortress idea and they didn't teach their kids discernment. And when their sin came upon it, their kids jumped into it. Mm-hmm. And so we do have to be aware of that. I actually... Um, I like to read um, or watch a show with my kids, which is the same as what you guys were talking about with the Bible. But I like to do this when I'm reading a book. Like I read The Bridge to Terabithia. Have you guys ever read that book? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I wouldn't highlight that this is the best book ever. (laughs) 
Um, and I wouldn't say that I would run out and buy it for my kids, but we read it out loud as a family. Yeah. And the same with a book called Shiloh, which is about a really nice dog. Both of them have interesting things in them. So Bridge to Terabithia's a girl who's just um, weird conversations and there's foul, some foul language in it, but it has a point where the girl ends up disobeying her parents and she ends up dying. And I remember having a conversation with a woman in my homeschool group years ago, and she said, oh, I'll never let my kids read that book because it has disobedient kids in it. And I was caught off guard by it because I probably was either on my shelf to read with them or whatever. And then I thought about it and I thought, no, I want my kids to see disobedient kids Mm -hmm. because I want to be able to talk with them about. And so through that book about the book. So through that book, when we'd finish a chapter, I would say, okay, so what is, how, how does God, God's word fit with this chapter? Mm -hmm. You know, what happened with this girl? Why did, what happens when she disobeyed? Like it was really Mm -hmm. a great conversation. Mm -hmm. And the same with many books. I read the book Shiloh, which also has a boy who's deceitful. He doesn't like the guy who, you know, is mean to the dog. So he takes the dog secretly and keeps it. And, you know, that's wrong. He stole, you know, like we've went through all of that. Yeah. And that was such good conversation with my mm-hmm. kids. So I, I want to encourage us not to run away from things, mm-hmm. but to use them even in our everyday life, just mm-hmm. like you did at the grocery store, mm-hmm. Andrea, or you might do with a book that you're reading with your kids, Katie. Like mm-hmm. we've got to teach them how to discern as we go throughout our day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was so good to talk with both of you. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for coming on. I, I feel like we could talk a lot I feel like we could just keep talking, but we probably need to end at some (laughs) point. Um, I think this is just the beginning of many conversations and thoughts about how to discern things, how to teach our kids to do that, how to look at the things that are coming into the evangelical church, how to think about books that come out. I think that's a big one. Mm -hmm. Christian books that are written by a a quote unquote Christian author, Mm -hmm. we automatically can think they're okay, but they're not. And so we need to use, not always, we need to use some discernment. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing and talking. And really thank you for all your research that you did for this. Um, And as you put it together, Andrea, would you pray for us today? Sure. Heavenly Father, you have created us to live for you and to bring you glory. Thank you for your word that tells us this very clearly. Lord, please give us your Holy Spirit to be able to discern what is true and right so that we can live all of our days glorifying you and to know how to teach our kids and others to do the same. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about these things with other women who love you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And it's time for this episode's Tiny Tidbit. A tiny tidbit is a small, tiny piece of information that can help you in a really big way. Today's tiny tidbit is brought to you from Emily Beckley. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. (laughs) All right. So I'm excited about yours um, because um, I know that I need to hear this. That's just the truth. I need Mm -hmm. to hear the first, the one you have today. Wonderful. so, So tell me what I need to change in my life, Emily. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, I hope they're helpful. Yeah. Uh, So my husband has been doing kettlebell workouts for months now and is seeing great results. I mean, honestly, he's getting ripped and it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It's really encouraging to me. Um, So he encouraged me to start doing them as well. And he even bought me a program to do it at home. Cool. Uh, So before I entered my arm, I was able to do these workouts for only like 15 minutes, three to four days a week. I could do more if I wanted or even a little bit less. Um, but they're lower intensity starting out and you work up to more intense workouts. Okay. Okay. But still, even when they get more intense, it's still only 15 minutes. 
and it's just a really great way to get moving and sweaty even when you're busy i could okay. just do them in the middle of my day <laughs> then, like you know, that's fine yeah you know, exactly i had a few minutes while the kids are napping and i just would go down and I'd do some laundry and i'd work out okay uh, so you don't even actually need a program. Before he bought me the program, I had been doing some on YouTube for free. Sure. So I mean, yeah. that's kind of really cool because the program he bought was kind of expensive. But, of course. You know. <laughs> yeah, they always are. Right. So I mean, me, if it were me, I'd be doing the free ones. Um, but you just need a kettlebell or two, depending okay. on what Okay. Where do you, you get do. those? I got mine on Amazon for pretty cheap. Okay. I know Meyer sells them too. Okay. But um, they're not very expensive. And I know like I've had gym memberships. I've just... Just yeah. gave them money and didn't go. Yep. It's so hard to get out of the house when you <laughs> yes. have little kids, especially. I mean, yep. It takes so long. And I'm like, I just don't have time for that. And I've done like beach body workouts. I don't know if you know those. Oh, but I've heard of them. Yeah, they're yes. very intense. Yes. And, you know, then I. Which is fine if that right. works for somebody. Yeah, exactly. They were effective when I did them, but like, you really have to. Yeah. Eat it's well, too. Yes. Because then you're just really hungry because you're doing these hour workouts. And yeah. I'm starving and I have a hard time like yes. regulating that. Yes. I understand <laughs> that completely. Yeah. Right. So those 15 minute ones are just really. They're what I need. And it's yeah. weights. So those are supposed to be really good, you know, as you get older and building more muscle because you lose muscle mass mm -hmm. as you get older. So I thought, well, you know, I'm rounding up on 40 here soon. So okay. I should get working out. Wow. I've been past 40 right. for a long time, but <laughs> getting close. <laughs> okay. What about accountability? How do you keep that a part of this? Um, well, the actually, it's a lot of it for my for me. It goes back to the program my husband bought. Okay. It's like a, they say you do this week, you do this this workout this many times okay and then like it kind of it lays it out for yeah, you yeah and it's yeah. easier to keep keep going okay um and honestly just for me <laughs> the way i struggle with things it helps me just to feel better yeah so i want to do it yeah which is really important when you're looking for a workout is to find one that you want to do yeah because otherwise you're not going to do absolutely it. <laughs> that's why all those um women in their 50s back in the 80s were doing jazzercise. Yes. I think it made exactly. them feel good. Right. You know? And then they had friends too. So I mean, if you're struggling yeah. with accountability, I mean, I've done this in the past too, where you just have a friend that you text and say, hey, yep. I worked out today. And yep. you know, that could encourage them if they haven't or, you know, them sending it to me. Yep. Like, well, my friend did it already this yep. morning at five. I should get and, going on that. And 15 minutes mm -hmm. is almost nothing. It's nothing. In you the big about picture your day, of the day. Right. You yeah. can easily spend 15 minutes scrolling on your phone without even noticing you have 15 yes. minutes for kettlebells. You got <laughs> or it. All right. Or whatever. I think you just sold me. Awesome. So. I hope so. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Emily. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today. It has really been a great conversation, and I hope that you learned as much as I did as we talked. Join us next week as we listen in on a talk called Living with Godly Purpose on Social Media. Boy, does that fit in with this topic. And I did not even plan that as I was laying these out at the beginning of the year. I am pretty sure you're going to want to hear all about how you can put discernment into practice as you, you know, live and peruse through your social media. Um, and speaking of social media, uh, follow or like us on Facebook or Instagram at Women of the Word CTW for some great content that's really helpful, challenging, and encouraging. And don't forget to subscribe to Unshaken on your favorite podcast directory. It helps us out and it actually helps you out because you get notifications when new episodes drop each and every Thursday. Remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time.